so today I kind of went back and forth on whether or not we should do a Christmas message and I thought, nah, why not? We're not going to do one. Um, you're going to get one in the main service. So let's continue with what we've been talking about. Um, so go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, let's go ahead and open up to Exodus 24. Exodus 24. Genesis. Exodus. <laughs> Dude, you're on to me. Dude, All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you stared right at my eyes you said that. There you go. Deuteronomy 24. Exodus. Sorry, not Deuteronomy. That's in my head now. Exodus 24. Exodus 24. All right. Once everybody's there and everybody has a study sheet, we will pray and we will proceed. All right. Okay, everyone good? All right, Corey, why don't you pray to open us up today? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for, uh, first of all, just gathering us all here safely, and we do want to thank you for uh, our health. Uh, it is something that we could definitely take for granted. Um, but God, uh, we just want to remind, uh, or be reminded of the fact that um, everything you give us is uh, to be used for your glory. So God, whether it's our health, our health uh, the gifts, the talents you've given each of us, I pray that we would all be seeking to bring you glory and to let the glorious light of the gospel shine, especially this holiday season. So pray you be with Stephen, knowing his speech today, and uh, may we all have ears to hear what it is that you have to speak to us individually and personally today. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so the heart of evangelism. <clears throat> now, we've been doing evangelism for the past couple of Wednesdays, and this is the second Sunday that we've done this. Um, last week, we really need to take some time talking about the heart of God, because here's the reality. If you really struggle with evangelism, or if you've started and you stopped, and the same really goes for your Bible reading and praying, if it's something that just hasn't really lasted and it's fizzled out in your life, it's because you really don't understand the heart of God. So when we're talking about the heart of evangelism, we're talking about some heart issues that need to change in order for us to be more faithful. <clears throat> so let's kick it off with this paragraph, because this is the summary from, from last week. So God, through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of His only begotten Son, God gave all that He had. He authored and finished the gospel. That's Hebrews 12.2. And without any controversy, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the living, breathing expression of the heart of God. When you take the proper time to meditate on these things, it is no wonder why it is called good tidings of great joy unto all people. And commanded to be preached to every creature in every corner of the world until he returns. God has entrusted us with the gospel, so we must first learn to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that is absolutely true. <coughs> There's going to come a day where we are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And we're actually going to talk about that as part of the last uh, section of the heart of evangelism, where God has entrusted you with the gospel. If you know it, and if you have believed it, God has entrusted it with you, so what have you done with it? And it's very similar. People have used the illustrations of, of investing money, and even Jesus used that illustration, where you have a guy that gives out money, and then he ends up investing that, and then you have the one that ends up burying it and doesn't want to lose it, and then he gives that back. God expects something in return. So when God does something for us, we should have a heart of gratitude in such a way that we take what He has given us and we do something with it. We multiply it. That's what this whole thing is all about. We live in a world today where Christianity is so consumer-driven 
that it's all about you and how you feel and what you want out of a church, out of God, out of your Bible reading. And if God does not benefit you the way that you see fit, then you're done with God. You're done with church. You're done with the Bible. And if you have that attitude, which we all do, because in our Laodicean world, that's exactly how we approach God, your whole faithfulness with God is just not going to last. It's not going to last. Because we don't worship God. We don't do things. We're not obedient to God just because of what He offers us. That's not how this operates. I remember years ago, I heard a guy... Uh, and I can't remember if he was a Calvinist or not, but I still like the, the idea of it, even if he is a, a false preacher and a heretic. But the whole idea that he put out there was, if God never bled and died for you and purchased your redemption, he is still worthy of your obedience and your service. And I love that thought. Like, if God never saved me, and I knew that at the end of my life that I would go to hell... That still doesn't mean that I shouldn't, I should just go and do whatever I want. God is God and He made me, and that fact alone should cause me to serve Him and to obey His will, regardless of the outcome at the end. Most Christians, that is a foreign concept to them. Absolute foreign. They only worship God, they only obey God when it's convenient for them or it benefits their life. And that is wrong. And we need to get that out of our hearts and minds. We've got to. We have to. Now, God will take care of us. And He blesses us. He does. And when we obey Him, he will, he will bless us. And that's for sure. But I'm telling you, our motives need to be put in check. And that's what this study should do for us. Okay, so He's entrusted you with the gospel. When He comes back, He's going to call that aspect into judgment. And we need to do a good job with it. And this has been a conviction to me too. Because it's easy for us just to get into our mode of living life day in and day out taking care of all of our stuff, and just not having a heart for the people around us. And we can't do that. That's why last week we started talking about the heart of God. God does not think that way. His heart towards you is that He gave absolutely everything that He had to purchase your redemption. And if you have the love of God inside of you, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you can't help but to care for the people around you, lost and saved. You will. You must. And if you don't, then you should be deeply convicted. And if you don't and are not deeply convicted, then I would challenge your salvation. And I would say, is the Holy Spirit of God actually in you? And that's the whole book of 1 John. Like when you read the book of 1 John, that's exactly what he says. Exactly what he says and what God says in that book. Okay, so we have to learn how to love the Lord. We have to learn how to love the Lord. And so, in thinking about this, I'm, I'm not really, I got a lot of thoughts here. I got a lot of verses. I was really unsure about how all this is going to come out. Um, but I do want to try to share as much as I can uh, from, from my life and my testimony. Because um, I, I, struggle, I struggle with this this morning. Because I feel like there's some of you that you know the gospel, you have believed the gospel, you are born again. But I'm not convinced you truly love God. And this is something that I want God to search out in you this morning as we work through this. So be open and honest with Him. Be transparent with Him. Let the Word of God actually have its way in you. But it is possible to be saved and to not really love God properly. And to not love Him. And to take advantage of Him and to take Him for granted. So I want you to kind of think through that. Because the things we're going to look at 
these are things that should be taking place or, or have taken place in your life if you truly love God. And these are things that, even for me, when I struggle in my life, in my Christian walk, I go back to these things. These are things that are, are cornerstones for me. Like, Jesus Christ is my cornerstone for my salvation. But in my walk with God of staying close to Him, there are several things that God has really ingrained in me and burned in my heart and mind that I have to go back to. And it's different for every person. And so I'll explain my story and I'll show you some of these verses where God worked in me and there's a good chance that some of you are like, well, great, that verse doesn't mean anything to me. Right, and it might not mean anything to you at all, but it means the world to me. And so what God will do is when He challenges your faith, there are certain verses at certain times and certain seasons of your life that when He opens up your eyes so that you can behold wondrous things out of His law, that there are certain verses that just stick with you for the rest of your life. That they become anchors for you, so that way when you do struggle down the line with circumstances, with, with decisions, with even mistakes that you've made, you find yourself going back to these passages. You find yourself going back to these verses, to these chapters, to these books. And it will help to keep things really fresh in, in your heart and in your mind. So I, at the end of last week, I talked about how the closer you walk with the Lord, more of His heart you will receive. And that's really our, our third point uh, that we're going to talk about today. But I told you that in my life, there were several things that uh, just really opened up my mind. Because most of you know my story. I grew up in church. Um, my dad was a pastor. I, I learned all the stories. I knew what it meant to be a good Christian on paper. I knew that you had to go to church. I knew that you were supposed to read your Bible. I knew that you were supposed to pray. I knew you were supposed to evangelize. I knew that you were supposed to grow in your walk with God and invest the things that God taught you into others. I knew all of that stuff. I knew it. But there came a day where God helped me to understand, yeah, you may know it, but you don't really know it. Like, you might understand the principle of it, and when you don't read your Bible, you may feel guilty. When you don't open up your mouth and share the gospel, you may feel bad about it because you know you're supposed to do it. But it's never really moved down into your heart and actually affected everything that you do. And God was very, very patient with me, and He is that way for a lot of you. He's very, very patient. And so what he did is he did some things in my life. Some of it was because of my own stupidity, uh, causing things to come up uh, to the surface of my life because I was just an idiot and selfish and sinful. And I allowed things to exist that shouldn't have been there. And others, he put me in certain circumstances with certain people at a certain time where he taught me things that just changed my life forever. And I'm, this goes beyond salvation. This is getting into what's called consecration in your life. There comes a point where, where you know that you will never turn your back on God anymore. That you know how much He's truly loved you and you cannot go back. You can't go back. And so I want to share with you that time in my life where, I, where that happened to me and how it has changed my perspective. And these are things that I need to hold on to. So we're going to spend most of our time on the first point of your perspective of God will change. But we are told that we are supposed to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's John 14, 9, and 10, that we love Him because He first loved us. And that herein was manifested the love of God that, that He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, that we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it says the exact same thing in Matthew 22, 37. That's the greatest commandment. So if we're really going to do this thing, like if you really want to do a good job and be faithful in your walk with God to be a good evangelist, to be a good discipler, to be a good just follower, disciple of Jesus Christ in everything that you do, you have to love God first. You have to. This goes beyond religion. 
This is what religion doesn't understand. Religion is that you do these things in order to make yourself feel better about your life or to even puff up your pride. Whereas when you truly love God, those things don't matter. Like when you truly love God, you don't need someone breathing down your neck about reading every day, praying to God every day, being at church every time the doors are open, being involved in activities, being faithful in discipleship, making sure you're memorizing verses, walking through open doors when it comes to opportunities with lost people or people that are struggling. You don't need someone to tell you that because you love God. And because you love God, these things just happen in your life. Because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. And when you love God and your heart is close to God, your mouth will speak, your life will speak, your conversation will glorify God. You don't need anyone to tell you to stop doing this or to stop listening to that music or, or to, to not go see certain movies. Or You don't need someone to tell you that. That's why I've never been a big advocate of that. You don't need someone to tell you because the Spirit of God is already working on you. Does this truly honor me? No. Well, then you need to watch yourself. All right, God. Those sorts of things start to happen in your life. Okay, so if you love the Lord, and when you learn to love the Lord, the very first thing that must happen and will happen in your life is that your perspective of God will change. Your perspective of Him will change. You may already know Him. You, you know that He's your God and your Savior and your Lord, but your perspective of Him will change. And if your perspective of God doesn't change in your maturity with Him in this, in this situation, then you will not be faithful. You won't. It's got to change. And so in Exodus 24, we're going to start off here because this is one of the uh, several verses that really just kind of rocked my world a little bit. But in Exodus 24, you have, uh, our focus is going to be on verse 12, but let's start off in verse 9. Okay, so God meets Moses and the elders and the leaders. So verse 9, Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, that's Jesus. Because remember, God is a spirit, you can't see him. So anytime that they can see God, that's Jesus. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. That is the, the, the lake of, uh, um, the sea of glass. That sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. So God took them up to the third heaven. They opened up a portal, and they walked right through. And upon, the no and upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also, they saw God and did eat and drink. It's interesting. And the Lord said unto Moses, and here's our, here's our verse. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount, and be there. And I will give thee tables of stone, and the law, and commandments, which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. And he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. And Moses went up into the mount, and the cloud covered the mount. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And then Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. So verse 12 I really want you guys to get this. And I feel like if I could just rip it out of my heart and put it into yours, like that's exactly what I want to do. I just wish I could do that. That's, that's something that I just wish I could really do. Verse 12 is amazing to me. Like amazing to me. And it changed the way that I look at God. 
And when I go back to it, it moves me in my heart. Because when I waver and I walk away from these things, I'm reminded of what I should have in my heart and in my mind towards God. The Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me in the mount and be there, and I will give thee, and really it's the word of God, the tables of stone. Do you understand? Like God's heart is not just towards Moses in this matter. God's heart is towards you in this matter. Devotionally speaking, God to every single one of you says, Come up to the mount and meet with me and be there. I think there are many times that you open up your Bible because you know God wants to meet with you, but you're not there. You're not there. Like, you'll open up your Bible because you know it's the good Christian thing to do. That I'm supposed to do this or else my disciple is going to jump down my throat. Or I'm just going to feel bad if I don't read my Bible today. This goes way beyond that. Like, way beyond that. He specifically invited Moses, come up to me and meet with me. I'm there. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to come and to meet with me. And I want you to come and I want you to be there. I want you to be all the, all your focus, all you think about. I want you to be with me. Man, if you just get a small glimpse of this, this is God's heart towards you. Every single day, God is begging you, asking you, come up to me, which means we have to leave where we are and go up to the Lord and to meet with Him. And we are to be there. That God is expecting you. He's waiting for you every day. And how often do we just stand God up and just say, "Ah, I'm just too busy. Ah, I'm just too tired. I just got a whole lot of stuff that's going on. How dare we do that to the Lord? How can you not have time for God? How can we do that to Him? Did He not give us life and breath? Did He not give us redemption and eternal destiny separated from our our would-be destiny in hell and to be with Him for all eternity, to serve Him throughout eternity future? How could we do that to Him? He loved us enough that He gave everything for us that there's nothing more that God could give to redeem us. And yet we just slough God off like He doesn't mean anything. He is like the most important person in your life, period. And there is no competition. Like, no competition. And God can't wait to meet with you. Like, He can't wait for you to enter into His presence and to talk with Him and to spend time with Him. He he so looks forward to it. And He wants you there. And He wants you to be there. And He wants you to spend time with Him. And He wants to spend time with you. Once this kind of this concept started entering into my heart and my mind, I'm telling you, it changed the way I looked at my Bible. Changed it. Completely changed it. And I remember I was like 19, 20 years old. And I remember that I started waking up super early in the morning. Because I hate waking up early in the morning. Like I hate it. It's like one of the worst things in the world. <laughs> but I started waking up at like 5.15, 5.30, and I started opening up my Bible at my desk in my room, and I started spending one, two hours reading taking notes, studying, and started doing stuff. And it's not because of of that aspect, and it's not because of how I wanted it to look. It was because God was waiting for me. He was waiting for me, and He wanted to teach me, and He wanted to guide me. He wanted to be with me, and I wanted to be with Him, and I could not let that go. I couldn't do that. 
And I'm so glad that I made that decision at that age in my life. But I wish I would have made it earlier. I really wish I would have made it earlier in my life. And so I'm thankful that it opened up my eyes at that point. But I'm telling you, that was huge. And I remember that the light bulb started clicking off for me, or clicking on for me, when it came to my mission trip to Costa Rica. God does so many different things on mission trips. And when you serve Him, and you go and you do, do things in order to, to say, you know what, God, I, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. I'm nervous. I'm out of my comfort zone. He does so many things in those moments. And this was one of them. Because I remember sitting down with our group, with our missionary, and he was going through what he does as far as his study routine and his mornings and stuff. And he shared verses like this with us. And I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. Why am I not doing that? And I knew I needed to make different changes in my life. And so this was one of those verses. That God is waiting for me. That God is waiting for you. And He wants you to come up to Him. And He wants you to be there and to meet with Him so He can give you the Word of God. That's big. That is big. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3. First Peter 3. And again, these are things that I need to remember. Because I wander away from these things, and I need to remember these verses, and I have them written in my Bible on purpose. 1 Peter 3. So when you have this attitude of going up to the Lord and meeting with Him and being with Him, this is what it's talking about in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Somebody read that for me. Verse 15. Go ahead, Carson. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And really it's the first part of that verse. We're going to talk about the second part of that verse in either next week or the week after. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What does it mean to sanctify? Set apart. Okay? In a biblical term, set apart from what to what? Because anytime you're separating something, that's the reality of what you're doing. Yeah. From the world unto God. Okay. From God's perspective, when you're saying, I'm going to sanctify this unto the Lord, that means this was part of the world, this was part of the flesh, this was part of the enemy of God, whatever. And I'm going to take it, and I'm going to set it apart, and I'm going to give it to the Lord. This happened with the nation of Israel when you had the tribe of Judah and they were set apart uh, because of what they were going to do in the future and how Jesus was going to come from that line. And that was something that you know Jacob called out and before he died. You have the Levites, specifically, practically, they were sanctified and set apart to minister unto God. They weren't given any inheritance, but God was their inheritance. So there's some great pictures of that. So here it says for us that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. That means that we are to set apart a space in our heart that belongs to God and God alone. Nothing else can touch it. And I thought about that. I'm like, is there, do I treasure God so much? Do I value my relationship with Him so much that I would set apart a devoted, dedicated part of my heart that belongs to Him and Him alone? And nothing in this world, no person, no circumstance, no plan that belongs to God and to God alone. And nothing can touch it. It belongs to Him. No one else can have it. And that's the place that I go to when I spend time with Him. That when I go up to meet with Him. It's so valuable. Now again, I'm not always obedient to this. But I know when my life is a mess, it's because I'm not doing this. I'm not setting apart part of my heart to Him and Him alone. That's wholly dedicated to Him. 
And this is why David talks about following the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart. And I knew I needed to do that. If I'm not willing to set apart and to sanctify the Lord God in my heart, then I'm never going to go meet with Him. I'm never going to spend good quality time with Him. Because He should be that important to you. And the same could be said for anything. Like if you have, you know, any of you guys that, I guess it used to be more when we were younger, but any of you guys have ever met with someone that's super important? Or you have an important meeting? Or you have something planned? Or you have a job interview? I kind of joked about the job interview. That's popped into my head because I'm like, that probably doesn't even matter anymore. <laughs> anyway, people are so desperate. You don't even have to. But I remember back when it was something super important that you actually had to dress up for, that you had to actually go in and you had to be very professional, that you had to, I had to sanctify myself from my normal way of life. Can't be wearing PJs and sweatpants going into a job interview, which you probably could today. And uh, otherwise you could probably sue them. So, but what, but what I had to do is that I had to actually dress up and actually, if I wanted this job, I had to be eager about it. I had to change my attitude. I had to change the way that I looked. I had to change everything. I needed to be prepared. I needed to be ready to go. And I was a little nervous every single time. It was important. So I had to make time for it. My goodness, we don't make time for God. We just don't. And if He is the most important person in your life, which He ought to be, then we should make time for Him. We should be prepared to meet with Him. And I think sometimes we nonchalantly walk into our relationship with God, yeah, I'm accepted or whatever. What? Like, come on, we're talking about the creator of the universe. The beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the one who was and is and is to come. And yet we just treat Him like... I mean, garbage, if you want to really be honest about it, that he doesn't mean anything. Like some old toy that used to mean something to us five years ago. We should never do that with the Lord. Never. Never. And so I should be willing to set apart my heart unto the Lord. And there should be an area of my heart that is never touched by anybody else other than God. It belongs to Him and Him alone. That was another verse when I was in Costa Rica that God really stood out to me that I knew that I needed to remember. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things, all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Verse 10 answers that question. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, and you need the Lord. You need Him. He is the only one that can search your heart. He's the only one that can tell you what to do and how to do it because He knows you best. And if you never go up to meet with Him and you're never there and you never sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, how can you trust your own decisions? How can you trust your own thoughts? And the answer is, you can't. You can't. We are liars. We are deceivers. We are corrupt. Even as born-again Christians. This is the reason why most people don't want to spend time with God. Because they have other agendas in their hearts and minds that they want to accomplish because their life is more important than God. 
and they don't want to let God in to tread on these areas of their life because they know if they let God in, He's going to change some stuff up. And you don't want to change. This is at the core issue of every Christian that struggles. I'm telling you, it is in my life and yours. Sometimes I don't want to let God in because I know what He's going to say. But I've gone through enough heartache in my life from my own decisions that I am so willing to let God just walk right in. Because I've done it the other way. It's miserable. It is terrible. And I'd much rather let God in and have His way in me and be very submissive right away than to fight Him on this. And this is a very key verse. Again, another verse that God really... I knew before, but when I was in Costa Rica, it changed everything. Let's go over to Proverbs. Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Give me a reader. Andrew. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, and you can have that memorized. I didn't get that last part. That's not in my Bible. <laughs> yes. It's an easy one. It is. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Every decision that you make comes from your heart. It comes from your heart. Every single decision, the things that you think, the things that you say, the things that you do, it comes from your heart. But Jeremiah 17 says that your heart is desperately wicked. So you better be careful. You've got to be careful. You have to. You cannot trust your own self. So here's what I found. When I was hitting that phase of 19, 20 years old, and I started spending time with God, I knew that I needed God. I knew that I, I needed Him in my life. I needed His wisdom. And I could not trust in my own understanding. I could not. I couldn't. That I needed Him. And here's what I found out. The more time that I got my heart into this book, the more time that I got my mind into this book, it started to change the way that I think. It started to change the way that I feel about people and circumstances. It changed. And it wasn't me. It was me spending time with God. God began to replace my heart with His. He started to take those certain things out and put His stuff in. And the more that I did that, the more He changed me. That's why you need to get in your Bible. That's why. It's not for any other reason. So whatever reason you have in your mind of why you should be reading your Bible, get it out. Get it out. You will get in your Bible when you understand, I need God. I need His heart. I need His thoughts. And I need them to replace mine. Because mine suck. They're terrible. They're evil. They're deceitful. They're disgusting. And I need His thoughts. I need His heart. And get rid of mine. Your heart is like a sponge. It It is just like a sponge. And if you take that sponge and you put it near anything... Whatever it is, it just sucks it right up. And you can choose what you want to do. But you have to wring that sponge out first to get all the junk out and then allow in whatever you sh- I mean, whatever you're going to allow in, you're going to allow it in. Is it the Lord? Or are you going to go back to the garbage and the cesspool of this world? Are you going to do that? That's Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. And I love verse 26 because we're already there. Look at it. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. You need to think about where you're at, where you're going. And you need to trust the Lord with it and follow what He's asked you to do. 
All right, Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. All these go together. These are all verses that stood out to me in that mission trip to Costa Rica. And this is the biggie for me. This one, this is the one that caused my butt to get out of bed in the morning when I was younger and start spending some good quality time with the Lord. And it's the one that kicks my butt to this day when I'm not doing it right. Proverbs 18, verse 1. Read that one. Anybody? What do we got? Go ahead. Okay. Let's take this verse and let's work it out backwards. All right? Do you want wisdom? Yes. Yes. I would hope the Nope, I'm good. I'm topped out. I got it. Okay, Jesus. All right. Do you want wisdom? Do you need wisdom? Do you need instruction? Do you need guidance? Do you need something to counsel you as you navigate through life? All of us would say, absolutely. Okay, then you have to seek it and you have to intermeddle with it. So that means you have to go after it and you have to spend time with it. And so if you're going to do that, you have to separate yourself. God bless that. Again. Knock it off. Thank you. <laughs> you have to separate yourself. Another word would be sanctify. You have to sanctify yourself. So you have to set yourself apart in order to properly seek and to intermeddle with all wisdom. If you never do that, you will never get wisdom. You won't. And then, before that, how do I separate myself? What's the first part? Through desire. It comes right back to your heart. If you have no desire, you will never separate yourself to get with God and to meet with Him and to be with Him there to seek and intermeddle with all wisdom. So, your problem is desire. And the reason why you're desiring the wrong thing when it comes to your Bible reading and Bible study and all the other stuff is because your perspective of God is off. It's off and it needs to be corrected. It's got to be corrected. That's the only way this is going to work out. And that's why Exodus 24 is such a powerful verse. It changed my perspective that God wants to meet with me. Like, okay, does God even know who I am? Like, does He really, does He know the things that I've done and what I've said and what I've thought and the things that I continue to do to blaspheme Him? Does He really know that? Of course He does. And He still wants to meet with me? Yeah. Man, no one loves me like God. That changes my perspective. And then now I look at this and I'm like, oh, i got to spend time with Him. And so it caused this desire to well up inside of me. I'm like, okay, then I need to separate myself. I need to carve out time. And I need to seek and intermeddle with, as I compared Scripture with Scripture, all wisdom. This is all the wisdom you'll ever need in this book. And as I sought Him and I intermeddled with it, it changed me. It changed me. And it continues to change me. And when I get away from that, then I always go back to my old ways. Because we are as a dog that returns to its vomit. And that is such a true proverb. Because I had a dog. And he did return to his own vomit. And his own feces. And I'm like, ugh. But every time he did that, you know what I thought about? That's me. That's what I do. That's how God sees it. When I say, yeah, I love you. And then I turn around and I go do my own thing. Yeah, I'll never do that ever again. And then I go and I do that thing. So if you want things to be different, you have to change. You've got to change. Let's go over to Proverbs 23. 
Proverbs 23. And then we'll get rolling with the rest. Proverbs 23. And I know I've shared this verse with you guys a lot, but this is where this verse comes from. Kind of bookending it with Exodus 24. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. I'm telling you as a father, that is exactly what I want for my son. I want my son to give me his heart. And the way that I know that, the, that I have his heart is that he actually stops and he observes my ways and his life changes. And it's the same thing for you. It's the same thing for you. So your perspective of God must change. It's got to change. If you really want to stop struggling with things in your life, if you really want to grab hold of God, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. If you really want to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, strength, this has got to happen. Now these verses, these are my verses. These are the ones that God worked in me. These are the things that I have to go back to. These are my, my anchors. That when I start to lose my way, I go back to these verses. This is what God did in me on that mission trip. He will do the same thing for you if you let Him. There will be certain verses, certain chapters, certain passages that He will just rock your world on it and you'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. And so here's my question before moving on to the next one. Where are you at? Like honestly, as we work through everything from beginning to this point, where are you at? Do you have these things? Do you have these anchors? And if you don't, why not? And if you don't, do you want them? And some of you are like, no, I don't want them. Okay, that's fine. That's the decision you can make. But just remember, you're going to reap what you're going to sow. But if you really want them, get after it. Stop making excuses. Stop causing or allowing things to unfold in your life in such a way that you just treat God as if He's just yesterday's leftovers. But He's not. He's the most important person in your life. The most important person. So when your perspective of God changes, and we're just going to hit this one really quick, you will pray and depend on the Scriptures more. You will. You will pray and depend on the Scriptures more. This will unfold in your life. And to be honest with you, I want to spend some more time on this one because there's so much in these Psalm 119 verses. I mean, so much. And I, I went through them the other day, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Oh, that one's good. Man, that one's good. I just kept adding them. I'm like, okay, let's just roll. And then, So we're going to do this one next week. We're going to stop here, and we're going to pick this up one, uh, next week because I don't want to cheapen this one. I want to make sure that we spend enough time working through these. But we accomplished what I wanted to accomplish today. I wanted to really get through that first point of your perspective of God will change. So here's my challenge to you. How do you need to change your perspective? And what are you going to do about it? Are you going to do anything about it? Is this week going to be any different? You guys are on Christmas break. So things are completely different. Your schedules are completely different. And don't tell me you don't got time. You got some time. And you got some time to figure this out. You got two weeks in order for you to reprioritize some things so that when you head back to school after the first of the year, you actually can figure out how to have a good routine with the Lord. You can. I know you can. And if you don't, it's because you don't want to. So if you go back to your vomit after January 1st, just know after today, that's on you. That's on you. And all of us are in the same boat together. Because there's, there's everything. Like there are things that I, as I'm going through this, I'm like, oh, I have forgotten about that. Oh, I need to go back. Oh, I, need to, I, need to, I need to incorporate this more in my life. So just think about that. And what do you need to do? And are you willing to actually do it? 
be among the few that are actually willing to do this. And understand that God is waiting for you. Like He's waiting. Every single day, He's waiting for you. So that way you can make some of these decisions and it will change everything. It will change everything. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time together in your word. I pray that we would grab a hold of these things and really meditate on them and give ourselves wholly unto them. Um, There is no one like you and you deserve all that we have. You gave all that you had for us and you deserve all that we have in return. And what's incredible is that you don't expect it um, because your love is unconditional. And, uh, and you still love us anyway. Even if we choose to never give our all in return, you still loved us enough to die for us and to give us a chance to be redeemed. There is truly no one like you. So help us today to be attentive to how you're moving in our hearts. And I pray that we all, all of us, leaders included, would be obedient to the things you laid upon our heart. I pray today is a, a, just a good reminder for all of us and in the main service that uh, we'd have visitors that would come and that they would get saved today. And if there's anybody here that's dealing with some stuff, God, I pray that you would not let them go until they deal with it. And I hope that they always know that, that their friends that they can count on are, are there for them, that their leaders uh, love them and are praying for them and are willing to help them with anything that they need. So thank you, God, for loving us so much. You have loved us so great. Our hearts can't even fathom it. And so thank you for your word, and thank you for the, what it gives us, and I pray that we would trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.